Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. You know, whenever I talk to my friends about a will or about estate planning, they tell me, Dave, I got plenty of time for that. I don't wanna, I don't wanna worry about that now. I don't wanna think about my death today, right now. Here's the thing. There are a number of reasons you should be concerned about your estate plan, the least of which is what happens when you die. I want to make sure that you're focused on getting your affairs in order. And we're going to talk about the reasons why this is so important, both after you're gone and while you're here. And we've got the perfect person to have that discussion with today. Please join me in welcoming Jennifer Taddeo to the Inside BS Show. Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, Dave, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. So, Jen... Let's let's get started where it all started for you. So were you like a little baby crawling around on the floor wondering what was going to happen to all the stuff around you if something happened to your parents? Like, how did you get into estate planning? Well, I did always know I wanted to be a lawyer, terrifyingly enough. Uh, but I started, you know, like all estate planning attorneys do, you know, pursuing a career in sports law. <laughs> <laughs> so in law school, I thought I was going to be a sports lawyer. And I really was moving toward that goal. I got, and I have a background. I was a lobbyist representing high school students when I was a high school student here in Massachusetts. Um, and so I thought, oh, I'm, you know, legislative affairs. I like that. Sports, I like that. I got myself an internship at the NCAA's legislative affairs office down in DC. And I got a research project about large corporations making donations to universities universities that tend to get a lot of televised sports and put thank yous up in places that get a lot of airtime. Is that really a charitable deduction or is that maybe advertising? And I found this so fascinating. I went back and switched out of the baby tax class I had been planning to take and switched into Professor Marty Ginsburg's uh, tax class. And uh, this is late Justice Ginsburg's husband, late husband, and he loved tax. It was a game to him. It was a puzzle to be solved. And he would he would giggle up there uh, during his lectures. And it just made taxes come alive. So I left law school and went to work for one of the big five in the accounting firm doing international corporate tax. And it was fun. It was sexy. I was adding a few cents of profit per share. I was working with people all over the world. And uh, as I was working on my LLM and taxation, I started to realize I was just adding a few cents of profit per share. I wasn't actually helping any individuals. So I started to shift my coursework and my extracurricular professional work into estate planning. And I made the switch over 20 years ago now, and I've not looked back. I feel so lucky I get to indulge that tax geekery and at the same time solve some problems for my clients. And now it's time for another Sandrowski Business Minute. Today we have Sandrowski tax expert, Catherine Raker. So Catherine, how do we calculate home office expense? Well, there are two methods, the simplified method and the regular method. So as I mentioned earlier, the um, home office has to be a specific space designated just for that activity. 
So with the simplified method, you would take the square footage of that specific space and multiply it times $5. And note that the IRS only allows a maximum of 300 square feet when you're using the simplified method. Under the regular method, what you would do is determine a ratio of your designated space square footage to the entire home square footage. And you'd multiply that ratio times the specific expenses, such as utilities, such as property tax. And this is more complicated and time consuming. An additional consideration would be depreciation expense could be allowed on your home office if you were using the, the regular method. However, when you go to sell your home, you're gonna to have to take that depreciation expense into consideration and recapture it so that the gain that you would have on the sale of your home would increase because you'd previously taken a depreciation deduction. Wow, that was a great answer. And you know what I learned from that answer? I'm gonna call you rather than try and figure this out myself. So if you wanna do what I do and call Katherine Raker, you can call her at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. This has been your Sandrowski Business Minute. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. Well, so that is the perfect lead into what I was talking about when I opened the show today. When you sit down with younger folks who are in good health, right? It's usually, I would guess, because of some kind of a life event, the birth of a baby, maybe a marriage. But there are, there are other reasons to do an estate plan other than to worry about what happens after you're gone. Share with the folks some of the reasons why all these young, healthy people who are listening and watching the show right now need to get all this stuff in order. Why is it so important for young, healthy people to have an estate plan? Well, you know, I like to say I'm bringing death and taxes to life when I work with my clients. And we do. We focus a lot on what happens when you die. How do we minimize taxes? But it is a lot more than that. Uh, we are thinking about what happens if somebody becomes incapacitated. It's actually often more difficult dealing with assets when a person's alive, but they're incapacitated. So if you don't have a well thought out, well executed plan, your family can be left to dealing with a situation where you're in the hospital, unable to, to do anything, and they can't access the assets to get you the care that you need, or they don't have the authority to make the decisions for you. Um, you know, estate planning is something that everybody, every single adult from the time they turn 18 on through the rest of their life, everybody needs it. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think the pandemic kind of brought that into stark relief for a lot of people. But, you know, if you if you think about it, your your kids who go away to college if they if they're over 18 right and something god forbid i mean you must hear the phrase god forbid a lot in your practice but something i, god, say, I hear it i say it it's it's a key yes something <laughs> god forbid happens to them they're they're 19 years old they're 20 years old they're 20 they're yeah, 18. I have an 18 year old. And they're and somewhere yeah. else. And, you know, who who can act? You Not their regular doctor. Who can access who has who has access to them in the hospital? Who's going to make decisions? So even somebody who's 18 needs to have an estate plan. So I'll tell you, you know, I have a few things that illustrate this. 
my mom is a former nurse. I mean, she's a nurse. She'll always be a nurse, but she used to work in the ER down at St. Elizabeth's, which is a hospital here in, in the Boston area in Brighton, right near BC. And so, you know, mind you, I went away to college. I was down in DC and she was up here in New England. Um, so she understood what that was like. But when she was working in the ER, she would have parents of patients calling and it broke her heart. But she had to say to them, do you, do you have a healthcare proxy? Do you have a HIPAA authorization? She wanted to help them. She wanted parent to parent to give them that information. But she understood that her, her nursing license was on the line. Significant fines were on the line. She wanted to help and yet was constrained. And so, so often they'd say, no, that my, my, I'm supporting this kid. I don't have any legal documents for them. You know, I, I have a friend here, uh, you know, Linda Wanders, an amazing woman who helps uh, people launch back into the, the business world. She had a, a two sons and she and I got together and I said, oh, you know what, Let, let's just get this taken care of as each of your sons turns uh, 18. And we got them done. We got that done. And one of our sons while abroad had some serious medical problems. And thank goodness that she had those documents because she was able to manage his care. Um, you know, and then my own daughter, she's 18. She turned 18 in March. She'll be going off to the University of South Carolina, go Gamecocks. And um, one of the things that my ex-husband and I discussed was we wanted her to have these documents, to be sure, but we wanted her to take it seriously because one of the things I do with my young adults is it's an opportunity for me to impress upon them. You're now legally an adult. You have certain responsibilities and you have certain rights. And we're going to talk about your rights. We're going to do these documents that you now have the right to do. But think about the responsibilities that come with that. And so it's a great way for me to reinforce to them. They're adults. They need to be thinking about it that way. We realized she was never going to take that seriously coming from mom because mom doesn't know anything. Well, I referred her to a, a woman in my Provisors Network, Deb Danger, another wonderful estate planning attorney. And you know, she signed those documents on last Friday. And my ex-husband and I, we can rest easy. You know, she's she had the choice. She's named my ex-husband, my boyfriend, and myself in different documents because she knew these were the adults she wanted to, and she had the choice to. So people always say to me, oh, you don't do this. I said, oh, no, I do it. I did it for my 18-year-old, and I even paid somebody else to do it. It was that important. All right, let's walk through Let's walk through the different uh, life stages or life events and why they're important and what you should do uh, from an estate planning perspective. So we covered 18, right? You're 18. You want to make sure you have a healthcare proxy, right? What else, what else do you need? What else does an 18-year-old need? So you need healthcare documents. And those are called different things in different states. Right. State planning, it's really one of those things so state-specific. But there are going to be some healthcare documents in your state. Here, it's a healthcare proxy, it's a HIPAA authorization, and it's a living will. Um, you also need a durable power of attorney. Sometimes that's called a financial durable power of attorney. Again, state-specific. But you want to say... Here are the healthcare documents, and here are the financial documents. College students, there's also something called a FERPA release. Uh, this isn't something I do. It's something that colleges have on their websites. Um, and if a student chooses to sign this, then their parents can get information about their ongoing enrollment, their grades, and every family has to have that conversation. You know, my ex-husband and I explained to our daughter, you're legally an adult. You get to make this choice. 
We're adults though too, so we get to make the choice as to whether or not we sign those checks. But you know, we, we are all making our choices. Um, they might be a little interdependent, but you know, it, it is one of those things that parents of young adults should be thinking about. But it's also a way to start thinking, well, when you have that significant other that you're going to name as your healthcare agent, great. But we establish right at that 18 uh, year old mark, it's not just about having a healthcare proxy in Massachusetts. It's also about having the conversation. And while the legal formalities might shift, I believe everybody needs to understand whenever you have healthcare documents, that's great. You're saying who's in charge. And maybe your state lets you say, here's what I want and don't want. But it is vital that you have the conversation. Sit down, first of all, do some soul searching. Uh, then sit down with your partner and make sure that you understand each other. What would you want? What would you not want? And then this is where people kind of drop off a lot, but it's so important. Gather your people, gather anybody who's going to be emotionally involved in that decision, even if they're not a decision maker and tell them all together, here is what I want. And here's what I don't want. Here is who will be making the decisions. And this does two things for a family. First, it gives your agent, the person you've named to make your decision. Most people name their, their significant other. It gives them a network of support. If they're having to make difficult choices, or even if it's adult children, these aren't fun choices. It gives them a network of support to say, yes, that is what mom said, dad said, you know, my daughter said, you're doing the right thing. Conversely, a little bit more cynically, I guess I'm allowed as an attorney, it's, it's making it more difficult for anyone to challenge right. because there's going to be someone else who said, hey, remember when we sat across the table? Remember we made this decision uh, or remember they communicated, they did or didn't want this. It just makes it a lot easier. And so I tell my families, make this the norm in your family. So when that young adult is at the point where they want to name a significant other, they're going to know if they're not comfortable bringing that significant other home and having that conversation, maybe they're not ready to name them. And they'll have the confidence to demand that for themselves. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, Dave, I came by this honestly. Um, you know, I have over 20 years of experience. I have a lot of schooling, but I had an experience that, that changed the way I practice. Um, one of my best friends, actually, you were complimenting my background. She's, she's the designer who, uh, who did my room. Uh, we went to college together. We went to college. She married her college sweetheart. And uh, a little over 10 years ago, he was diagnosed with glioma blastoma multiforme, GBM. It's kind of brain cancer that killed Senator Kennedy and Senator McCain. And um, I was sitting with her that day when the brain surgeon came out. Uh, you know, Mike's best friend was on one side and I was on the other. And he told us that's what it was. Now, we'd been researching all day. We had a plan for everything. Uh, we knew where all the trials were but there is no plan for GBM. You just get as much time as you can get. And, uh, and he was really stubborn. So he got 14 months, which was amazing. And they, they impressed me so much. They did all the things. They thought intentionally about what was this going to look like as long as they had for they and their boys. Uh, and they traveled and they did so much. It was wonderful. They moved, they were, had been living abroad when the diagnosis happened. They moved back into a home that they'd been renting out and he decided he was going to fix it from top to bottom so she and the boys could live there. Um, and it was a great investment. They're actually selling it, you know, I think last week. But 
they thought about it. They thought about what was the end going to be like. Was he going to go to hospice or would hospice come in? What would the experience be like for their boys? Um, you know, all of it. What would his memorial service look like? And they did such a good job. And I, I talked with them all the time during this period. And I was so impressed. And they were telling me about the conversations they would have, about the conversations they were having with her parents who had moved in to help care for them and the boys. But one day I noticed they weren't saying anything about the conversations they were having with his parents. And I knew from being at the surgeries that his parents were deeply in denial. And you know what, Dave, you tell me my 36-year-old son's dying, I would be in denial as well. So I never begrudged them that, but I was worried. And in the end, they did not have a conversation. And there came a point where his parents tried to take him out of his home where he had said he wanted to live for the rest of his life and bring them back to their home many states away, called a private ambulance service. And it really hurt. I mean, it really ended the relationship that they had with their grandchildren. Those grandchildren, the grandfather died the summer before COVID. Those grandchildren never spoke to him again. And I doubt they will ever speak with the grandmother. Have these conversations. They're difficult, but they're worth it. You know, and I can give you some um, links that I always tell my clients to go to. The Conversation Project is wonderful. The One Slide Project, really great resources. Okay, Jen, now let's talk about marriage and divorce, right? What do we need? What documents need to be updated at the time of marriage? And I'm going to guess they're probably the same documents that need to be updated again in the event of a divorce. So share with us what we need to do right when we're getting married or when a marriage is ending. Absolutely. So you know, this is where having an estate planning attorney as part of your trusted advisory team is so important because ideally you already have an estate plan. You decide to, to take the leap. And one of the things you do is you reach out, you shoot an email or pick up the phone and call your estate planning attorney and say, hey, Jen, Chris, Pat, whoever, I'm getting married. Isn't this exciting? And you can geek out about that for a few minutes. And then say, well, what does this mean? What should I do? Because every state takes different positions on does marriage revoke this document or that document? Um, different states have different estate tax situations. In Massachusetts, we have only a $1 million estate tax exemption. That means you can only give away $1 million before you're hit with estate taxes. Now, let me, let me clarify only $1 million. I know that sounds ridiculous. Um, but for those of us in New England, we know our real estate is, it, it, it's unbelievable. The values have just shot up. So you have a home, you have maybe a modest insurance policy and a little bit of retirement savings. All of those things are included in your taxable estate. And so you're over the exemption. And if you just give everything to your spouse, which is what might happen under the what we call the intestacy law. So if you don't do an estate plan, you still have one. It's just that the state made it for you. You didn't get to choose. So everyone has an estate plan. It's just whether they, they made their affirmative choices. So a lot of times things will just go to a spouse, which people might think, oh, that's great. That's what I want. But in a state like Massachusetts, that would cost your family a lot of money because at the end of the day, now that spouse will die with your assets and their assets, and they're going to pay a lot in estate taxes. Um, so you want to revisit with your plan, estate planning attorney, should I redo these things? Should my spouse and I 
do our estate planning jointly. It's not a given. In some families, it makes sense, especially my blended families. Um, it it may, sometimes makes sense for them to each have their own counsel. And that's great. And we work closely together with the other counsel. It doesn't mean it's not a good marriage. It doesn't mean they don't have the same goals. It just means they have separate counsel so that if something happens, they can continue on with those separate counsel. Now, divorce. Every divorce attorney should be asking the question, Tell me, show me your estate plan. Can I talk to your estate planning attorney? Of course, again, sometimes if there is a joint engagement, that's tough. But a lot of things happen at divorce if there are any irrevocable trusts. Um, you know, so I tell my clients that revocable trusts, it's like putting a pocket on your coat. It's just a way to hold things and you still, you're still completely in control. But an irrevocable trust, that's a little bit like building a lockbox. And you know, you can design it however you want, but there's always going to be some key. And until that key comes back, you can't open it. And an irrevocable trust, if that's part of your plan, your divorce attorney needs to know. Because as part of the divorce, they can fix problems. Like, does it still name your former spouse? And are you sure that will go away just because you get divorced? If you don't want to leave that to chance, your divorce attorney can make sure that's addressed. It's always important to make sure your divorce attorney understands it and reach out to your estate planning attorney, or sometimes you might need new estate planning counsel, but you want to oftentimes immediately change your healthcare proxy and your durable power of attorney. Most of my married couples name each other in their healthcare documents and in their durable power of attorney, but wouldn't during the divorce, they don't want that. So we can change that immediately. We have to be more careful with our wills and trusts because a lot of states have what's called an automatic lien during divorce. You can't take assets away from a spouse until you're actually until you have that division of assets by the court. And so oftentimes what we'll do is we will get that healthcare proxy, get that durable power of attorney down right away, but then we'll say, okay, once everything is finalized, we're going to update your estate planning documents so that you're no longer benefiting your spouse. Because until the divorce is final, often it doesn't matter. Even if we change it, the spouse has certain rights because they are still a spouse. So be in touch with your, that's I think the, the real important takeaway is you want to have a collaborative ongoing relationship with your estate planning attorney that you can reach out and say, this is what's happening. I tell my clients, give me a call or shoot me an email anytime there's birth death, marriage, divorce, material change in the family or material change in the assets, or if you're reading about the estate tax in the news every, every day. Those are all things to say, hey, Jen, do we need to do anything about this? Yeah, you know, one of the things you touched on earlier that I meant to highlight was the durable power of attorney. That That's really important for accessing financial documents, perhaps uh, purchase or sale of real estate using the funds or sale of real estate that is titled in somebody else's name. You don't pass go. You don't get in the door of a bank to access a safe deposit box or a bank account without that power of attorney. Now, Jen, help me uh, understand and help our audience understand if you give somebody power of attorney, while you you can limit that to after you pass away, right? They don't they can't go into the bank and take your money today, can they? So, 
there are two types of durable powers of attorney. And again, I'm speaking to Massachusetts law, but this is going to be fairly standard. Um, but it's something that you just said is actually a really common misconception. Durable powers of attorney cease to have any power the moment of your death, as oh. do healthcare proxies. So, and we have, I mean, I'm not going to, there are a lot of people who say, oh, well, I went the day after she died. I just used the power of attorney. <laughs> it's one of those things you say, oh, um, but no, the moment of death, it has no effect. But clients do say, you know, it, a durable power of attorney is a document that's going to let another person make business, financial, and legal decisions on your behalf. Now, Massachusetts is a state where we are striving to stay out of probate as much as we can. So hopefully nothing or very little is owned individually in that person's name. And it's still an incredibly important document because it allows the, the attorney, in fact, the fiduciary under this, which is a terrible old-fashioned name. They don't even let us serve as this unless it's a family member. Um, but that attorney, in fact, can exercise legal rights on behalf of the person. But there are two types. There is what we call a current grant or a non-springing or a springing. So a current grant non-springing power of attorney, you sign it and it is immediately effective. So the example I always give, uh, and apologies to my brother if he's listening, uh, let's say that I have a power of attorney and it is non-springing. And I have named my brother as my successor attorney, in fact, the, the backup. And I make the mistake, I, I break the rules I give to my clients, and I give my brother that durable power of attorney, that original. He goes down to my bank, he's got the original, he brings out his ID, he shows them, and then he empties out my bank account. I show up 10 minutes later and say, what did you do to my empty bank account? And they say, Jen, we did exactly what you told us. We saw the original, we saw the identification, we follow those instructions. I can't sue the bank, they did everything right. I can sue my brother because he breached his fiduciary duty to me, but I'm an estate planning attorney. I don't like litigation. I've got people I refer to for that. So I actually give my clients some rules. I give them the rule of one, two, three. We do one original durable power of attorney. There's a trade-off. I also tell my clients there's always a trade-off. If someone tells you, oh, there's no downside, don't trust that person. There's a downside. It just might be a good deal, but know what the downside is. So the downside here is that means that one original is going to need to be schlepped from place to place. Every institution is going to want to see it. But having one original means you'll know where it is. That one original is going to name two people, a primary attorney, in fact, and a successor. The downside is if something happens to either one of those people, you should really update the power of attorney. Everything else, I say, oh, give me a long list of people. I'll put a whole bunch of successors in. But this, having a smaller pool of people who could use it, is worth it. And that one original naming two people, you're going to keep that in one of three places. You're going to keep that in a fire safe at home, a safety deposit box at the bank, or in your attorney's vault. So you want to make sure it's someplace secure yet accessible. Now, if clients don't like that, they'll ask me about that springing power of attorney. This is a document that springs to life when you become incapacitated. That's the name. And people hear that and they think, yes, that's what I want. If I'm competent, nobody should have that authority. The problem is that institutions see this and they think, I'm not competent to make, the, or I'm not qualified to make the decision as to whether or not this person's competent. And they're right. They're really not. 
And I've been able to get these honored. When my clients are named in somebody else's, they'll call me and they'll say, now I know this is really a pain. Um, what do I do? And I get on the phone with the bank's counsel and sometimes we've got the doctor's counsel because the doctors don't really want to write a certificate of incapacity. And we're all billing and it's a waste of time. So I almost never do that springing power of attorney. I think you have the non-springing, the current grant, you just protect it. But it okay. is powerful. Yeah. No, that. thank you for clearing that up. I, I learned something. That's terrific. I was actually taking a couple of notes while you were <laughs> while you were talking. All right, Jennifer. So I want you to think of, take a moment and think of three things, three important things that we need to take away from our time together today. For those of you who are listening, those of you who are watching, we're talking to Jennifer Taddeo. You can reach out to her at 508-233-8393, 508-233-8393. She's licensed in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. If you need help anywhere else, give her a call. She knows people all over the country. She can put you in touch with a really good estate planning attorney near you. Um, we're brought to you by today. Today, we're brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. Those of you who haven't opted in for this, this is my business development plan. It's the same business development plan I use with my clients to help them build their book of business. I want to give you this plan for free. You can customize it for yourself, just like I do for my clients. Here's how you can access it. Just go to revenueroadmapguide.com revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your contact info, download it today. It's my gift to you for listening and for watching the show. Okay, Jennifer, so what are the three things we want the people listening, the people watching to take away from the show today? I'd say number one, everyone needs an estate plan. If you're 18, you have, you have these legal rights. You have this need. Um, number two, an estate plan, it's, it's not just a set of documents. Documents are a product of it, but it is the whole process. It is the consultation. It is thinking about what are the right documents for me and how do I line my assets up in a way that will help my estate plan to, to work the way I want it to. Um, and I think number three would be, you know, I heard you tell a story on a recent podcast about uh, walking through a, a crosswalk and being hit by a cab. And in that moment, reevaluating things. Don't wait. Don't wait until you're having that moment because then it, it, the anxiety, it makes it so much harder to make these decisions. Sit down and talk with an estate planning attorney. Make an estate planning attorney a part of your trusted advisor team when you don't have a pressing need. Because it's so much easier to have these conversations. You know, the friend I referenced earlier, I had been visiting them. Um, six months before he was diagnosed and we were talking about estate planning and it was so easy it was light and I'll tell you the conversation I was having with him the day after his first brain surgery as he was in the hospital bed that was a lot harder so have these conversations when they are theoretical you know I think that that last point that you made Jen is uh, I mean it's critical and here's the reason why if you hate to think about your own death or the death of people you care about, then let's think about it now and never think about it again. <laughs> How about exactly. that? Let's right just think now. about it right now. Make the <laughs> tough decisions right now when you're not in a difficult emotional state so that you don't have to worry about making those decisions during a time when you're under enormous pressure and enormous duress. Our guest today is Jennifer Taddeo. If you want to reach out to her, call 
303-833-8393. Jen, thank you so much for the wisdom. You were very generous with your knowledge. I really appreciate you being on the Inside BS show today. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. I really enjoyed it. All righty, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS show. We'll be back here again tomorrow. Until then, my name is Dave Lorenzo, and here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.